Hello and welcome to this talk from Hersham Baptist Church. My name is Phil. I'm the pastor church here. It's great to have you with us. We want to study God's word so that we can be people who are courageous in mission, who are Bible saturated, spirit dependent and loving of others. If this is your first time seeing one of our talks, then we'd love to get in contact with you. Please do hit like and subscribe below to stay in touch or get in contact with me through the links on the screen next to me or in the show notes below. We're thinking about running another Alpha course soon. If you're interested in that, please do register your interest with us and we can add you to the list of those who are wanting to take part. We are at a start of a series of reflections, thinking about the people and the community that God wants us to be in this season. And we're using the book of 2 Corinthians from the Bible to help us to do that. Last week we thought about the importance of being people who speak with integrity, who say what we mean, and compassion, who always speak from a place of love for others. And this week we're thinking of the flip side of this, the importance of being people who are people of reconciliation, the importance of being people of reconciliation. Before we dig into what St Paul has to say to us uh, about this issue this week, we are going to hear our lunchtime summary. This is a statement of what we're learning so that you can remember it and repeat it to anyone who asks you. And here's today's lunchtime summary. Paul wants us, uh, sorry, forgive me. God wants us to be a people of reconciliation who forgive one another and encourage one another. God wants us to be a people of reconciliation who will forgive one another and encourage one another. God wants us to be a people of reconciliation who will forgive one another and encourage one another. Well, it's been common uh, recently to observe that we live in a time of division. We can multiply descriptions of these divisions, ad nauseam, Remainers versus Brexiteers, Labour versus the Tories, Left versus Right, Trump versus Biden, Young versus Old, those who support Tottenham versus those who are wrong and have made poor life choices. It's never been more important for us to find a way of overcoming these divisions, of showing each other grace of exercising mercy and learning to be a people who are reconciled to each other and to God. And this is an issue that Paul addressed directly in the next section of his letter to the church he began in Corinth. And I'm going to read that now. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 23 to chapter 2 verse 11. Why not read along with me if you have a Bible at home? I call on God as my witness and I stake my life on it that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it's by faith that you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad, but you whom I've grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, 
but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused me grief, he has not so much grieved me as he grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. This is the word of God. So what's going on here? Well, as we saw last week, in this section of his letter, Paul is addressing why he'd written to the church in Corinth rather than going straight there, as he'd originally planned. In these paragraphs, he explains his motive for writing before he visited. You see, he was due to come to them. He'd said that he was going to come to them and then he'd been held up by uh, what could only be described as a very good excuse. There was a riot in the city where he was and he was threatened with death. And so he wrote to them instead and they were upset by this. They wanted to know whether he was being flaky and unkind and gracious to them. And he says, no, the reason he writted, the reason he wrote rather than visiting rather, was because he wanted to set out some of the problems in the church and explain how they should be addressed and give the church a chance to fix them before he came in person. So that when he arrived, he and they could be reconciled to one another And bring joy rather than grief. Now we find out that the church had listened to him. In particular, the man who had been causing so many problems had been confronted by the community and had stopped. Now Paul says to them that they should forgive that man. They should show their love for him and they should encourage him. Paul explains that he himself has forgiven the person who wronged him. In making this appeal, Paul makes it clear that it's important for them to forgive and to comfort this other man. Otherwise, they'll become divided and they risk being outwitted by Satan. Now, this is the situation that Paul was dealing with. As ever, however, the way he addresses this particular situation shows us the kind of people in the community that we are called to be. So we're going to look at those principles that he uses to address this situation and see how they apply to us. Fundamentally, this passage shows us that we are called to be a people of reconciliation. We're to be those who are people who bring others back to God and to each other. This is fundamental to our calling as Christians. Later in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul writes this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. In other words, you've been changed, you're new. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry, that's the work, of reconciliation. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
Christians are called to be people who speak of and model reconciliation first with God and then with each other. For Paul, this is not only central to our calling as Christians, to to the, the theory of what we're supposed to be. It's essential if we're to grow and be productive as a community. It's essential if we're to grow and be productive as a community. You see, when teammates fight, the whole team is distracted and weak. When family members fight, the whole family is involved and is hurt. When one part of the body is sick, the whole body suffers. I was trying to think of a vivid illustration of this. And I uh, cast my mind back to uh, the match between Newcastle and Aston Villa on the 2nd of April in 2005. When this happened in the second half and Newcastle's season spiralled out of control. We are a team. We are a body. We are a family. These are all picture words that Paul uses to describe what God is making in the church. When we are split from one another, when we're at war with one another, all end up hurt and our opponent, Satan, gets an advantage. In other words, we need to be people of reconciliation. Now, it's worth pausing and thinking about what this means in light of other ways of thinking. There is an idea, I think it's quite popular in the world, about about karma. Uh, It comes out of Buddhism, uh, Eastern uh, religions. That in some sense we all get what we deserve. Now, leaving aside that that's obviously not true in this life, that as the Psalms and the scriptures are clear, sometimes the wicked prosper and those who do good are harmed. The problem with karma is not that it uh, is completely wrong. It captures the idea that we have that we long for justice. And that's right. It's good. There's an insight there, an echo of of the true uh, faith that God wants us to have. But it leaves no room for forgiveness and grace. It leaves no room for those who fail to match up to the standards that have been set by themselves and by God and by others. And yet wants to be restored. And that's exactly what Paul is looking for the community to do here. For them not simply to enforce a rigid punishment for sins, but instead to show grace, to be people of reconciliation. There are three insights that come out of this chapter as to how we can go about doing that. First, reconciliation necessarily implies conflict. Reconciliation necessarily implies conflict. It may sound odd to say, but in this life, conflict can be good. We're all sinners who are called to be transformed through Jesus. 
That means that at times we need to confront our own feelings, stand up to each other where we go wrong. That kind of conflict is both inevitable and essential. If I am acting in a way that is proud or unkind or unwise or a bad example, I need other people to point it out to me. There's a certain measure of conflict essential in that, in watching over one another and making sure we're not going wrong. That's why we spent last week looking at the importance of being people of integrity who speak the truth. Paul could have ignored the huge problems and abuse at Corinth, but that would have been bad for them, bad for him and bad for the gospel. Instead, he wrote to them and explained what was wrong. More than that, they had the humility to hear it and to change what they were doing. So conflict cannot and should not always be avoided. But, and here's where Christianity departs from other philosophies and systems uh, of thought. Where there has been conflict, those who have been forgiven, which is us, must be willing to show forgiveness. We're not interested simply in paying someone back for what they've done. We want to see them restored in their relationships to us. Forgiveness is central to reconciliation and to the Christian life. Forgiveness is essentially letting go of something. It's used in connection with debts. I used to get this all the time as a lawyer. I forgive your debt if I don't require you to pay it anymore. God forgives us in Jesus. He lets go of our debt to him. Because Jesus has paid the appropriate consequence for our sins. And he then expects us to do the same for others. This is how Paul puts it in his letter to the church in Ephesus. One of the other churches he founded. I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As we are forgiven, so we must be willing to forgive. Third, Reconciliation requires comfort or encouragement. Now, forgiveness is essentially negative, if I can put it that way. It has a positive consequence, but it's letting go of something, not holding something against someone. But if we are to be a new community, if we're to be a restored family, if we're to come back into relationship with one another, we have to go beyond merely forgiving one another and not holding grudges. You see, you can forgive someone and yet your relationship with them still be cold and distant. You're not requiring them to pay for everything they've ever done. You're not wanting to enforce against them. You're not going to seek punishment from them. But you're not going to be their friend either. That's possible. But Paul and Jesus want us to go beyond that, beyond merely forgiveness. Not only to let go of the past but affirm our love and commitment to one another for the future. Again, this reflects what Jesus has come to do. Jesus didn't just come to bring us forgiveness, but to affirm God's commitment to us and his love for us for the future. 
That God has a plan for us to prosper us and not to cause us to fail. This is what was written about Jesus by the prophet Isaiah several hundred years before he was born. And Jesus picked up a scroll one day and said, these verses apply to me. This is what he wrote. It's Isaiah chapter 61. Verses one to three. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. That's on Jesus. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That's your forgiveness. Release for the prisoners. They're no longer required to pay anymore. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. Not just releasing the prisoners, but comforting them, reassuring them, encouraging them that he loves them and he's committed to them. To provide for those who grieve in Zion and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil for joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. Jesus is someone who comforts those who mourn and we should be too. Reconciliation implies welcoming someone back when they accept what they've done wrong, reassuring them of our love and commitment to them and encouraging them. A good parent with a child knows exactly what this means. There are moments where we have to discipline our children and yet we should always be seeking to do so in the safety net and the conscious encouragement that we are still committed to them, that we still love them, that we still want to be their parents, that we're still wholly on board with their lives, even though we've had to stand up to them in one thing. So what does this mean in practice? Well, let's finish with this. First, if we want to be those who show forgiveness to others, consistently we need to experience it ourselves if you've never come to God and said sorry for what you've done in the past trusted in Jesus and asked him for a fresh start then do it today get in touch and get baptized I'll do it in lockdown I'm allowed to the promise of God is that you will be forgiven for all that you have done and receive his spirit you have a restored relationship with him and be brought into a new family in the church Second, show forgiveness to others. We need to be people who don't hold grudges. This is hard. It can be especially difficult to know what to do when the other party will not acknowledge that they've done anything wrong. In those cases, all we can do is resolve not to be bitter or resentful and be willing at all times for the relationship to be restored. Third, let's encourage one another. Get into the habit of actively building each other up in the church. It can be as simple as a phone call, a message, a note through the door. Even better, get involved in a life group and commit to encouraging one another regularly. You know, this is particularly important for those whom we've fallen out with or found difficult in the past. Why not make a list? Who are you going to encourage this week? Commit to sending two text messages or making two phone calls or visiting someone or dropping a card in. 
Write it down and do it. God wants us to be a people of reconciliation who forgive one another and encourage one another. Let's take communion.